Well, good morning. So good to be with you. Opportunities to be present in this building as well as for those that are now tracking with us through the live stream and later through the week through YouTube. God's blessings. So good to be able to gather together to worship our Lord. Love for you now. Take your Bibles. Turn with me to Acts chapter 22. We're going to be looking today, examining very carefully verse 22 on into chapter 23, where we're going to get up to verse 11 or so, asking that God will give us incredible insight as we're exploring a section of scripture where Paul is having to bring to the forefront the gospel of Jesus Christ into a, a very hostile setting. I'm going to begin reading in verse 22, take it down through verse 29, and here now, you and I, we together, we find these words, that up to this word, they listened to him. And then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting, throwing off their cloaks, flinging dust into the air. The tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? And when the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, What are you doing? What are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, yes. Tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. Paul said, but I am a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. And the tribune also was afraid for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen, that uh, he had bound him. And so now we're looking again at a passage of Scripture. Paul has presented the gospel very clearly. He offered his personal testimony. There was a before, there was a during, and there was an after. And he led the crowds in Jerusalem up to the point where they were, they were pondering the significance of what he said. And then he uttered something extraordinarily provocative. Where in verse 21, as we ended last week, he said to me, God speaking to Paul, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And now this Jewish populace in the streets of Rome, or rather Jerusalem, who are very conscious of the Roman authorities all around them, become hostile. How do you minister effectively in hostile settings? 
Let's look to our Lord in prayer. And now, Father, what we want to do is to ask your guidance, your direction, your blessing upon this aspect of our worship. We have lifted our voices in song. And now in this portion of our worship, we apply your truth to our lives. Thanking you for all those present in the building this morning. Your blessings upon those far away. We thank you, Father, for uh, the extended McDonald family celebrating a wedding in Texas. Bring them and all those who have traveled with them back safely. Pour your spirit upon all. For those involved in the processing of all that occurs via live stream, engaged in this teaching in the days to come via YouTube, we're asking that you meet us at our point of need. So, Father, these moments are important as we continue our worship, asking that you now warm these hearts, engage these minds, and shape these wills. As again, now, Father, we've come here to see Jesus, him only. Praying these things to again now in Jesus' name. Amen. You and I are making a tour of Arlington National Cemetery. And our tour guide is noting all the various plots and settings where those very notable in the way in which they have impacted this nation are buried. Occasionally there are pauses where particular stories are told and memories shared. And we make our way up to the setting where William Jennings Bryan is buried three times candidate for the presidency of the United States. The lawyer deeply involved in the Scopes trial. One who loved Jesus, by the way, as Lord and as Savior. And then we are, depending upon your tour guide, given the opportunity to recall these words. When Brian once stated, never be afraid to stand with the minority, which is right. For the minority, which is right, will one day be the majority. Always be afraid to stand with the majority, which is wrong. For the majority, which is wrong, will one day be the minority. And you think about your relationship to God and your, your relationship to this nation and this world. And you wonder how to make a difference for the cause of Jesus Christ. And then you think of the Apostle Paul. Where he definitely in the minority, standing in front of a very hostile crowd silenced the audience 
as with this sense of the calm of grace, he could peer out into their eyes and offer a before. He came to know Christ as his Savior on the road to Damascus. A during in which the risen Savior confronted Paul and an after as to how the Apostle Paul was to live his life and the purpose God had given for his life. But when he had reached that poignant moment when he, looking at the crowd, would then say, and Jesus said, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles for them, who they thought was in the minor majority, enough was enough is enough. And now the pushback comes. And what they're about to do now is attempt to silence the voice, the Christian voice of the gospel of Christ. What I want to do with you now in the coming moments is to explore with you this whole matter of what we might call here the silencing of the voice in the culture. We see it all among us. We see it around us. And what I want to do with you now is to draw out three significant needs that are found here in these verses that help those who feel as though they are in the minority but know God's word and know the truth to realize that everything will work out in the end. But in the meantime, how do you proceed? When attempts are made to to silence the Christian voice, start off with me this morning by noting the legal rights that you and I, we need to claim. And now we pick it up in verse 22. Up to this word, they listened to him. Again, as I said last week, and we will repeat this morning, this is the calm of grace. We're in the tense moments of life. You can maintain a, a biblical mindset and address the issues of the hour. If you've ever been on trial, if you've ever gone through trials, and you feel like your voice is not being heard, your words are being silenced. Up to this word, they listened to him. But then they raised their voices, you see. It's time to drown out the Christian voice. Drown out the facts being presented. Drown out the truths being shared. Just drown it out. Allow for the loud voices to overtake the singular voice. It's as if he's on the witness stand for Jesus. And they said, away with such a fellow from the earth. We know what they're less than hinting at, for he should not be allowed to live. There you have it right there. 
So Paul had their attention and all was quiet until he talked about the responsibility that he had given by God to present the gospel not only to the Jewish population, but furthermore to the Gentile world. Donald Gray Bonhouse described the Queen Mary, the great sirens of the transatlantic liner, he wrote, have been toned in such a way to be heard over a long distance, but without causing noise on board, disturbing to the passengers. But what is happening here is that God's grace is now disturbing to the passengers. Paul's voice is not going to be silenced. So all they can do now in the culture of cancel, the cancel culture, and you thought that was something for 2020-2021. It was found back then. Their voices are such they try to drown him out And now in verse 23, you and I are told that as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. Now notice then, in this emotional pushback, not only do you have the voices, but now you've got the visuals. My word, they're now throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air. Now, throwing dust on one's head was a sign of mourning in that day, in that age. Removing it from one's feet meant removing what they considered to be unholy. So what they are now proclaiming through their voices and through their visuals is that what Paul had uttered runs contrary to what they considered to be God's will. I remember a few weeks back where Representative Nadler in the House of Representatives responding to someone who knows Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, a rep from Florida, who had brought up the will of God made reference to the fact that that did not have any bearing upon the House of Representatives in this particular situation. Tensions. As they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, notice the verbals, notice the visuals. Well, now, what's a man to do? Interestingly now, what God does at this point is that he sovereignly directs not a Jewish religious leader, but rather a secular Roman leader to come to the rescue. Just like God sovereignly would choose secularists like Herod and Pilate, to fulfill the purposes of Jesus by having Jesus Christ put on a cross and they thought they were in control. Likewise, now, the crowd thinks they're in control 
And so God says, okay, I'll use a secularist. And so he now takes this man, this tribune we met last week. The tribune ordered him back to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging. Now, a word about flogging at this point. The, the word here is the flagellum. This was a leather thong in which pieces of metal were woven in, woven into the leather fabric, and would oftentimes lead to the victim's death. Certainly, it would scar him, if not maim him. Centurion would be the one to administer this. Talk about due process, eh? And so now, where is justice in the midst of this injustice? And sometimes in the legal system, you're calling for justice, and then lo and behold, you're saying, but where's the justice as this injustice is now being brought forth? Here's Paul. All he's done is speak for Jesus, presented facts, declared truths. But now not only is he being threatened by the religionists, he's about to be flogged by the secularist. While the crowd's shouting, the secularist, the centurion, is having the body parts stretched out for the whips. And then, here you have it now. It's the timing of grace. I always want you, when you're dealing with the tensions of life, try to figure out ways to bring truth to the tension in timely ways. Truth, tension, timeliness, okay? Truth, tension, timeliness. Paul now waits, not prematurely, he waits for the strategic moment. And when you have what I will call the calm of grace in the tensions of life, you wait for the most strategic moment for truth to be heard effectively and processed internally. So now, when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by in the form of a question. It's almost, I'll insert this. So, by the way, by the way, is it lawful for you to flog a man who's a Roman citizen and uncondemned? Now, notice he utilized a question in his timing. Get the man thinking. Man thinks, I'm just following procedure. Now, the reality is, even if Paul had not been a Roman citizen, the tribune would have had no authority to try a provincial belonging to another jurisdiction. Paul waits until he has been chained for the same reason as we discovered in Acts 16, verse 37. 
Because again now, what he's doing is he's waiting until he's got what I will call legal room to maneuver. This is the timeliness of truth in the midst of the tensions of life. Because, first of all, Roman citizens are granted due process. Paul has not been granted due process. Second of all, Roman citizens were not to be flogged. Paul is about to be flogged. Hasn't been flogged yet, but he has not been granted due process. So already his rights have been violated. Which leads me to say that the wise biblical Christian in 2021 and beyond living has got to be able to continuously relate biblical truth in timely ways to the trends of the culture that we find ourselves in. Not only do you know your scriptures, get a hold of the Constitution, the amendments, and isn't it interesting, once again, as we pose again and again and again, that freedom of religion and freedom of speech are found jointly in the First Amendment, not separate from. And here in Paul's situation, freedom of religion, freedom of speech come to bear upon this very situation. And he does this with what I call the calm of grace. Oh, by the way, what are you about to do? Um, is it lawful for you to flog a man who's a Roman citizen? No, he didn't say he was. He's going to force them now to do their research, which was their responsibility all along. And by the way, Roman citizens who were born by birth had something to carry with them, but they never chose to check it out. It's kind of like when, you're, when you are traveling overseas and you've got to pull out your passport to identify you as an American citizen. I've done that, and I've done that, I've done that. Pull out the passport, Highlander's passport, put it in front of the... And the individual, and he looks at the, me and looks at the passport, looks at me and looks at the passport and says in whatever language he's in as he looks at my picture, that's too bad. <laughs> it's too bad. And uh, they look at one and I said, this is bad. We're about to flog a Roman citizen. And so the tribune came, the tribune, and he said to him, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Well, that had been his responsibility prior to, to getting stretched out. And I love, I love how expansive Paul's response is. He said, yes. And I can almost see the smirk on his face. It's the grace of the smirk. You know. The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. Now, this tribune or commander, he is either a former slave who acquired enough funds along the way to buy his freedom, 
And that happened often. Or else he bought his citizenship by a bribe, which was common under the preceding emperor, Claudius, for whom this man is named. His name is found in Acts 23, verse 26. Claudius Lysias. So the tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. I love Paul's response because he knows his rights. But I am a citizen by birth. In other words, this tribune is now outranked. Paul outranks him. Paul knows his legal rights. Let me say it again. To be a cutting-edge congregation, we've got to be able to understand biblical rights, political rights, national rights, allow for everything to converge, timeless truths communicated in timely ways, savvy people. So you keep your... Your constitution and your amendments close at hand. Mine is with an arm's length. My desk. Right next to my Bibles, in fact. So the tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. And Paul said, but I'm a citizen by birth. And now, uh, this um, centurion is probably saying, tribune is probably saying to each other, Houston, we got a problem here. I love the story of the missionary Lillian Dixon. All five feet of her. Served with her husband as missionaries in what was then known as Formosa back around 1927. Concerned to be able to protect the rights of Christians in remote mountain regions where they worked. Now, at five feet, you're not exactly imposing. But you see, like Paul, she had political connections. She used them to her advantage. She initiated various humanitarian projects throughout the country, became acquainted with various national leaders who were eager to be able to somehow, some way, assist her and repay her where it needed. And this little lady had a reputation for tough. Once, her biographer says, while making a survey trip to 70 mountain churches to find out what kind of condition they were in, she heard of a chief in the region who had been persecuting members of his tribe who had become Christians. <coughs> a native policeman told her that this chief had been in the habit of going with a group in the middle of the night to a new Christian convert, maybe a widow, an elderly man, beating the victim, demanding protection money. Well, Lil was in a village five miles from the chiefs when she heard this report. It was around midnight, and she turned to the policeman. What she's doing up at midnight, only God knows, but says, let's go see the man. She was up in years. And so the officer protested, the biographer tells us, knowing the chief probably would be asleep and drunk, she insisted. Reading from the biography, they found him in his hut, precisely in that condition. 
Lillian, quote, shook him violently and demanded to know why he was beating Christians. I can make trouble for you, she said. I don't want to do it, but I can produce trouble for you. If I hear one more instance of going after a Christian, I'm coming after you. And with that, she left as abruptly as she came, and the chief never persecuted another Christian. She had connections. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've got connections. If you're a citizen, you've got connections. When you are a citizen of heaven, you've got what I call uppercase citizenship. When you're a citizen of this country, you've got what we call lowercase citizenship. You've got dual citizenship. Don't flip them. The word for citizen, politema, comes from the noun polis, from which we get city, we get metropolitan, cosmopolitan, police, metropolis, politics, from the word polis. This is the word here. Paul's got connections, so do you. Because you've got dual citizenship, you've got uppercase and lowercase. If you know Jesus is Lord and Savior, you're dual. What do you take of this? Verse 29. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. And the tribune also was afraid. For he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that they had bound him. You thought that Paul would have been afraid, but instead you've got the tribune who's afraid. Notice how everything's getting reversed here. And when God's sovereign grace is operative, Grace produces reversal after reversal after reversal in your own personal experiences. You're traveling with me now, and we make our way in the footsteps of the Apostle Paul to Rome, where he eventually would be. This picture appears on the screen. It's a picture of Paul who is now positioned. He is standing before, you see, this tribune. And he is explaining, in essence, his dual citizenship. And Paul is not one for reversing them and making uppercase, lowercase, and lowercase, uppercase. And neither should we. Back to the text. Because once you have been able to spot the legal rights that you and I, that we need to be able to claim, because you've got dual citizenship. And then second of all with me, I want you to note the essential truths that you and I, we need to communicate And so it's the next day. And on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused, and because he couldn't draw out the info from from their version of waterboarding, flagellum, instead he is brought before the Jewish Sanhedrin the Jewish council, the Jewish leadership within Jerusalem, this time unbound. You're up to verse 30. All the council gathers together to meet, and he brought Paul down, set him before them. 
Because now if he could not deal with this legally, he will have to deal with this theologically. And now Paul, in chapter 23 of verse 1, is now once again positioned before opposition. He just can't get away from the opponents, whether it be the secularists or the religionists. Maybe sometimes you feel that way. At work, in your extended relationships, in whatever town you come from, setting you're in. Because we come from a large region, you know. I love the calm of grace. He just maintains it, as should you. Looking intently. It's a very intense word in the Greek used to describe him. This is no mere glance. This is an intense gaze. Paul said, first word, brothers. There's where you begin with a hostile crowd. In other words, what I'm saying here at this point is that he is exhibit A of how to handle hostility. He's found his on-ramp to begin this issue being addressed by saying, brothers, he's found common ground. He now states... I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. How can he say that? He's simply fulfilling his mission that he had already spoken of before the majority, so they thought. God is sending him far away to the Gentiles. (coughs) But evidently, a man by the name of Ananias, who's the high priest, didn't like this. And so in verse 2, Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. On the mouth, why? To silence the voice. On the mouth, why? Because these things have been uttered via the lips from the mouth, confronting the trial with truth. It was symbolic as well as painful. Now, what you've got to bear in mind here is that as Ananias commanded those who stood by to strike him on the mouth, Paul, in return, utilizing his voice, says to him, God's going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Um, The man's got a bit of courage, would you say? Now, whitewashed wall was one whose weakness or ugliness in that time period could be concealed It was a phrase which was used to describe the veneer of whitewash, walls facing the streets in the eastern Mediterranean were often whitewashed, even though the buildings were dilapidated. In essence, he's saying, you dilapidated priests, you dilapidated religionists, you're nothing but whitewash. Looks good on the outside, you've got curb appeal. But on the inside, there's decay. And he's saying this now to the high priest, but he doesn't realize this at this point. Because in verse 4, those who stood by said, Why, what, would you revile God's high priest? Paul's taken aback. 
Paul said, I did not know, brothers. Now, you've got to bear in mind that he had studied under the great teacher Gamaliel. And some Gamaliel students could very well now be part of the Sanhedrin. And Paul, previously Saul of Tarsus, when he oversaw the stoning of Stephen, was most likely part of the Sanhedrin. He could be talking to former colleagues. He could be talking to former classmates. And he's saying, in this case, I didn't know. And because, you see, in the barracks, Ananias, because that would have been a secularized setting, he would have had his his high priestly garb removed. I said, he's saying in essence, didn't recognize him. I remember many years ago uh, heading off to New England to speak at church that started. And after I had finished a service, a young lady, 20-ish, came up to me and ask the question that I always dread whenever I'm speaking elsewhere. Do you remember me? And uh, I said to this wonderful young lady, I'm sorry, I, I don't. She said, you should. You did my baby dedication. <laughs> and I, I smiled and I looked at her and I said, my, have you changed? <laughs> if he had hung around Ananias and then been off for 20-some years ministering elsewhere, Ananias, my, have you changed? Didn't recognize you. I didn't know, brothers, that he was the high priest. Because and then referencing Exodus twenty-two twenty-eight. You shall not speak of evil, speak evil of a ruler of your people. But now, and this is, this is the brilliance of grace. Verse 6. Now when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees, these are the rationalists, the naturalists. They deny the miraculous. And the other Pharisees, which he was part of, they accept the miraculous. Think Nicodemus and the likes. He cried out in the council, once again, brothers. But now like a good running back who finds a seam as the guards now have opened up a spot for a running back to move and run into daylight. I am a Pharisee, as some of the Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. Why did he say that? Why did he say that? You know it. Here it comes. This is a divide and conquer strategy. When he said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided, for the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit. Sadducees don't believe in resurrection. That's why they're sad, you see. Sorry about that. 
But the Pharisees acknowledged them all. What's happened? What he has done brilliantly at this point is that he has shifted the opposition away from them versus him to them versus them. Bring it home. 2021. The woke culture, cancel culture, reading extensively late night about the cancel culture and the give and the take, and certain cutting-edge people whose writings you and I would respect are finding that Amazon is in the Amazon and the cancel culture canceled their opportunities to have their books and display. Deplatformed is the word that's used. Cancel culture. But now others are having their books canceled who have been advocates of the cancel culture. In other words, the cancel culture is turning on itself, you see. Brilliantly, what Paul is now doing at this point is allowing the culture to turn on itself. And he's just... Stepping back, watching all this unfold, great clamor arose. Some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up, contended sharply. What do they say? We find nothing wrong with this man. No longer does he have to defend himself. Now he's got a good segment of the Sanhedrin defending him as well. Meanwhile, the tribune's listening in, trying to figure all this out. And when the dissension became violent now, the tribune's got to step in again. So what does he do? He's afraid Paul's going to again be torn to pieces. So he commands the soldiers, go down, take him away from among them by force, bring him back to the barracks. And as he brings him back to the barracks, you and I smile. Because what Paul has done is he's brought the idea of the resurrection to the forefront I am on trial, he said. It's with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead, I'm on trial. And I can imagine Chris Tomlin just stepping right into the midst of the Sanhedrin saying, there's a peace I've come to know. And maybe Paul now joins his voice. Though my heart and flesh may fail, there's an anchor for my soul and I can say it as well. Jesus is overcome, and the grave is overwhelmed. The victory is won. He is risen from the dead. And I will rise when he calls my name. No more sorrow, no more pain. I'll rise on eagles' wings before my God fall on my knees and rise. I'll rise. And maybe we all at that point would have joined him in singing, I hear the voice of many angels sing, Worthy is the Lamb. And I hear the cry of every longing heart, Worthy is the Lamb. No more sorrow, no more pain. I will rise on eagle's wings before my God fall on my knees and rise. I will rise. Brothers, 
I'm a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It's with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead. I'm on trial. That's the trigger. Which leads you now to this third and this final need, all wrapped up in just one verse. In verse 11. Because thirdly, you and I notice together the personal courage we need to exhibit. The following night, the Lord stood by with him. Isn't that like Jesus? And no matter what you're going through in life, when trials are before you, the Lord is with you. And what does he say? Take courage. He does not say, feel courageous. In other words, there is a taking. There is a taking of what I will call the grace of courage now and applying it to your heart in the hour of your need. It's human responsibility. Take courage. He doesn't say, I'm going to give you courage. It's already there for the taking. For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, take a deep breath. You must testify also in Rome. And the Greek word for testify is martyrus, from which we get the word martyr. Which takes us back then to our tour guide, who when standing, stopping, pausing, at the gravesite of William Jennings Bryan would say, never be afraid to stand with the minority, which is right. For the minority is such that they will look at the minority and realize this. The minority, which is right, will one day be the majority. Always, always be afraid to stand with the majority, which is wrong. For the majority, which is wrong, will one day be the minority. Let's stand together. And if God be for us, who can be against us? Us plus God is always a majority, even when we're standing alone in the trials of our lives. When we're wondering, why did that even have to happen? And it happened. And what we need right now is the majority of grace to infuse itself into the circumstances of life. Lord, do it. And give that person who has been weakened by life now the personal courage needed to stand strong. And through it all, Father, we'll give you the glory. Thank you for who you are. Thanking you for Jesus dying for our sins. We're thanking you that Jesus was raised from the grave. We are thanking you for your grace. And we'll give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.
God bless you.